Good afternoon, maybe it's good morning where you are. We are the Redraft Podcast, the brand new podcast by writers for writers, and I am your host, Romina Ramos. I am the author of Sardines, uh, co-host of Natta Bolton, one half of Print a Poet, and one quarter of The Doors Open CIC, and I'm here today chatting with my friend, Will Stevenson. Hello, Will. Hello, how are you? I'm good, how are you? How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm- more right busy day editing on the podcast which is yet to come out but has already been recorded by the time you're listening to this what a strange weird wacky timeline we live in oh my god what a time to be alive (laughs) and doing so many wonderful things at the same time right well let's get into it i'm excited to talk Mm. to you um yeah i'm gonna go straight in and i want to rewind all the way back uh, and I want you to tell me, tell us what uh, your first memory is of e- either being read to or reading as a kid. Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, I think, I think it would be the first really, really distinctive um, experience around books is definitely like the Harry Potter series, a hundred percent. That was something that my dad would read to me um, when I was really young. And then I remember getting to, Half-Blood Prince, the penultimate one, and um, being old enough to sort of read it myself. Um, and we bought two copies, and he, we had a race to the finish. Obviously, I was like 10 or whatever. He, he he beat me, and he left on the kitchen like table side thing just a note, with like, and it just said, like, the end on it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's there. I could find out, and I didn't. But it was there the whole time, and obviously when it opened it up, it just said, like, Snape kills Dumbledore in it. And I was like, oh. Wow, spoilers <laughs> early on that but there's a really other otherwise there's a distinct memory of books um associated with my brother who's four years younger than me um who fucking hated rupert the bear mm. do you have rupert the bear yeah do you know what i'm talking about uh maybe yeah possibly had a, a, a version of it yeah so it's just like it's just like um a picture book kids sort of first reading thing and my brother hated it and every single year for christmas without fail my dad's mum my nana's would buy him a rupert the bear book and every year (laughs) she gets told he hates it and every year she just buy him another one again the annual for the for the for christmas and i think she was doing it spitefully towards the end i think she's doing it on purpose to wind him up (laughs) (laughs) brilliant that's brilliant um yeah i don't know if we had rupert the bear we did have a bear called arta um but yeah um you can see in the background there paddington actually oh yeah paddington yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's another really important bear to me i guess Um, (laughs) which is funny that there's that association of of kids literature and and like cuddly toys and cartoons and the way they all sort of coalesce into yeah bears really important i guess to kids which is a weird animal to choose isn't it like that's such a terrifying animal if you ever meet a bear why have we chosen to make that the iconography that kids associate with because they shouldn't stay away from bears (laughs) yes definitely stay away from bears um (laughs) brilliant so tell me about growing up in skegness what was school Mm. like for you did you have any inspiration Yeah, so, well, the book, is, well, first of all, I expose myself as a fraud because the book, is, well, the chat book that I released in 2020 is called From Skegness to Salford, but really it's because that's a pithy name. Um, the town or market market town, historic market town where I actually grew up was called, weirdly enough, Alford, which is like Salford, but without the S. Um, <laughs> and there's a piece in um, We Are Now Approaching, which is all about, Alford as a town which is a really 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 weird place because it's I talk about this idea of deprivation not always meaning like intense fiscal poverty and not always meaning violence but also like this idea of deprivation through lack of access and through lack of investment and through lack of culture so Alford is a town where my parents moved from Nottingham just before I was born and they moved about a lot at the time around my birth which is a weird way of phrasing that but when I was born they moved around a lot 
to lots of different houses. They had a mortgage that they, that fell through and they couldn't afford and they were they were renting and there was a council place and all sorts of stuff. So like it was very chaotic, I think, at the time. Um, but the main thing that sort of stands out about that as a place, and it's still the same today, I think, is that there's absolutely no public transport. So there's like one bus or like two buses a day which go to Skegness, which is the biggest town, which is nearby. And it takes like 45 minutes on a bus, even though it's like a 20 minute journey because the buses haven't been updated since like 1986. And so there was there was nothing to do. Like when I say there was nothing to do, I talk to people now living in Bolton, living in like parts of Manchester where they go, has nothing to do. And I'm like, you have no idea what nothing to do looks like. <laughs> nothing yeah, to yeah, do yeah. is like there was the skate park, which is just literally just a formed ramp, like out of, <laughs> out of um, concrete. And it <laughs> literally, that's all it was. There was nothing else there. Just a concrete, like you can't see what I'm doing. Like a, a wave, a wave yeah like a, and that, a, that was it and that was like the most uh funding that had gone into the town in ages like i talk about the idea of never seeing anyone in like their 20s or their late teens because everyone just left as soon as they could um and everyone and then all my friends were in different sort of neighboring small weird villages and hamlets and towns and stuff so even then you were relying on other people to like give you a lift to go and hang out with someone or whatever you couldn't just walk around someone's house um so it's a really really weird place to grow up basically and i think it's why i've gravitated to places where i can talk to people it's probably why i can't shut up as well because i'm i'm just excited to be around people still um but school yeah school was obviously the most social place that you would get because despite that it did have a secondary school in where a lot of people bust in or people in who lived in that town kids 11 year olds you know can't move out and um yeah it was it was it was weird it was a strange experience at school i think i enjoyed parts of it a lot um especially like i guess halfway through like about year nine when sort of becoming like emo was like a cool thing all of a sudden because i'd always had long hair and skinny jeans and upside down crosses and all of this but then suddenly i think everyone decided that ollie sykes from bring me the horizon was quite fit and it was like oh that's okay and that was socially acceptable to be to be emo is interesting um <laughs> and it was around that point when i started like getting into literature i guess more as well um and, and poetry and, and reading because again yeah that was there wasn't much more to be done so i enjoyed i enjoyed english i had a great english teacher called mr longley um who was just a lovely nice man and he sort of acted like a human i think as, as opposed to like a a teacher and I like that I came in I don't know why I was just a bit of a dick like I weren't like a massive rebel I was just a bit of a dick like I came in one morning and it was like English first period was like in year nine or ten and I just brought like and I did it for the attention because I bought like a whole ceramic bowl a fucking gallon of milk and like a spoon and like a whole big whatever it is box of like sugar puffs with me as well and like I just sat there at the table and just made myself my breakfast, and there was no need for that because <laughs> <laughs> I'd had the opportunity to have breakfast at home. There was like a breakfast club, I'm sure, at the school or whatever. Could have got some toast or whatever, but I didn't. I decided to put all that in my backpack. Minging, you think, oh, what a waste of milk! <laughs> but the guy just went, "Well," and I was like, "Oh no, I'm gonna get shouted at you," even though that's obviously what I was aiming for, to happen. And he didn't. He just went. I've got muesli. And he pulled out his exact same setup that he'd brought with him. <laughs> and it really made me laugh. And it's for that reason where I, I think that stuck with me as like quite a formative experience of, oh, this, this guy's been really nice. Um, and I'll, I'll sort of pay attention and give it my best shot. And later on, he, we had like a, this was when English was in coursework and we had like a piece of coursework about advertising, I think it was. And I wrote my first pun at the age of like 15 or whatever. It was about, selling whatever product and i decided to market it towards christians and i called it baby jesus and it was about selling cheese and he really liked that and i was like oh i've, I've made him smile i've made a um, an adult smile who's meant to be good at this because he's the teacher so that felt quite nice i suppose that's the first like external validation that we're all after every everyone's after this everyone we're going to talk to on this podcast is after validation from someone else whether they say they are or not that's why you do creative stuff in my opinion 
That's that's a reason, mm. maybe not why, but not that's, not necessarily the whole reason. But I don't, yeah, I don't, but it certainly might play a part in it. Anyone that's like completely sound and one hundred percent confident in themselves doesn't need to like get up on a stage and shout at an audience. Maybe I'm reflecting more on myself here and and other types of performers that perform a little bit more like me, I guess. Um, but if you need to like have a crowd applaud you and and do that once a month, then don't know i feel like there's something that you're, you're searching for in in that applause in that in that conversation that you have after that yeah that's really interesting um i i i still like i mean i love it obviously i love getting applause but it still makes me a bit um uncomfortable at the same time does it it's really just, interesting yeah because i hate being not because it's just because i hate being the center of attention you know mm. so it's like but but I do love it when I'm up there, obviously, because it's like, like you say, it's validation. It's like, oh, wow, they think my work is good, mm. you know. So, yeah, definitely. There's, there's both, both elements in there, I would say. Mm. Tell us about your journey then into writing, like, writing full-time, not full-time, but writing seriously. I suppose it was it was full-time at one point before I was a teacher. I was doing the marketing stuff, which I'll, which I'll get around to. Um, I was skipping ahead a little bit. So... After school, uh, English was the subject that I did the best at. I wasn't very academic, really. Like, I got, I, I got five, I got scraped my five GCSEs, what I needed. I got my, like, combined science, fucking entry-level maths, or whatever they called it, traditional foundation maths, um, French, and um, English and, and language. So I, I've got, like, barely any GCSEs, but I've got what you need, I think. And... That got me onto the college course, which is a town called Grimsby, which you may or may not know as a fishing village and somewhere that was lampooned in a Sasha Baron Cohen film, which is really, really weird. <laughs> it's actually, again, it's just a place that's really deprived. And so where I went to college was, it was like an hour, it was like a bus journey. It was an hour away from my house. I never learned to drive, so I was never driving there myself. And I did um, creative writing, which was around for like, a year or two as, as an A-level, which I'm really, really glad about because I think it's helped me decide that that's something I can do and make it feel open to me. Um, I did film studies, which probably my favourite thing I've ever studied. was so much fun. And I did English language, not literature, at college. And I think I got... I can't remember, I think I got a CC and a B or maybe a BBB. doesn't matter anyway, but those things were were great because they, they, they were all creative and it felt for the first time that I was like, oh, all right, okay, this is the sort of path that I would like to go down. Um, finding that, because I, I, like I say, I, I wasn't academic, I didn't enjoy school and I, and actually I, I probably didn't enjoy college as much as I should have because all of those things were the things that were really interesting to me but I, I didn't take the time to sort of enjoy that. I don't think you do generally enjoy education while you're in it um not in the way that you should not in the way that you then go on to appreciate when you get a bit older i think and i had a great some really great teachers of in all three of those particularly my creative writing teacher um gordon which is a great name in it gordon sounds like a a poet a man <laughs> and he uh he used to write poetry and he still does about sort of the fishing village and this idea of it was all centered around place and it, often it was centered around like Grimsby and Cleethorpes um, as these sort of iconic places of industry and this industry having for the most part left them um, which was a bit too cerebral I think for for me at the time but it but it did show me that you can be a poet and that's a thing he was the first person I knew that had like been published for example um, and that was even a thing. Like I wasn't aware of that being a an opportunity. I guess I think I just saw publishing as like something that authors do. And to be an author, you need to go and live in London and know twelve people who already work as publishers. Um, so he was really important and instrumental. I invited him to the book launch, weirdly. Uh, he couldn't make it because I think he'd already booked a holiday, but I've kept in touch with him on Facebook and stuff. And from there, I decided to go and do journalism 
at the University of Salford. Um, so I moved, and I, and again, this all links back to the idea of wanting to be somewhere busy. Yeah, is that did that influence your, your university choice, the mm. city? Oh yeah, the 100%. city like definitely. I'd been drawn to Manchester. I'd started getting into like um, Manchester and the Smiths and Joy Division and music like this. I'd started to to get into that like just around the time that college applications were opening up. Like I'd been into metal, which is what my dad had influenced me to be into, like traditional heavy metal, like Black Sabbath and um, bands of bands like Led Zeppelin, bands like this. And then I'd sort of gone on to like emo music and modern, like My Chemical Romance and Fall Out Boy and Blink One Eight Two and Bring Me the Horizon and bands like this. And I'd, yeah, I'd st- I think at college is when I sort of started forming a your own personality for the first time where you, you're not influenced by either your parents or your peers at high school and you can start to find your own interests. And that sort of stuff hasn't really stuck with me. I still like the Smiths. I still like Joy Division, but it's not my main thing anymore. But definitely at the time I was like, right, Manchester seems like the place to be. I knew that I didn't have the grades for um, UOM and there was a brilliant course in journalism at the University of Salford and it is a really good course they've got great lecturers and I was like right sweet that sounds cool I know I can do the baby Jesus thing that's journalism that's advertising I guess they're interlinked see what that's all about and the other option was there was a course in music journalism at Southampton which is like the obviously the other end of the country would have been a completely different experience and yeah it's just mad to think that all these sort of possibilities can or can't happen I guess um but yeah, moved to moved to Manchester, moved to Salford. Immediately, um, really enjoyed journalism. Started getting into more like writing um, for websites and things like this, like rock rock websites online. Um, rock Sins was the first place where I got myself published online, um, which was really exciting. And then in the no tell a lie, the first place where I was ever published was. Um, at the end of the A-level, they put all the work into like an anthology. Um, it was like a zine style thing printed out. And I've still got a copy of that, which is really fun. And I think having that in print informed the decision to then go and do journalism. Because I was like, right, that's cool. I've done a piece of journalism. I've done a review of a gig that I'd managed to get tickets to. Um, a comedy gig, actually, Russell Howard, when he came to Skegness on his warm-up tour. <laughs> and yeah, so then I'd started doing more music publishing, more music journalism. I got to take my, my dad to a band for free, which was really exciting. It was my first experience of doing press. And yeah, it just carried on from there. And then after a while, the sort of press that you do gets bigger. I got into Download Festival for free, which was crazy. What? Went to go see like Kiss and Muse and Slipknot and all these massive bands. And nice. Just writing for a website. Like I didn't get paid for it, obviously, but that's so exciting when you're like 18, 19. Incredible experience. You're like, wow. Yeah, massive. And then to be treated like a a peer of all these journalists as well was something that was really fun because, you know, you're just backstage and interviewing whoever or... Something that really stands out for me from that festival from that weekend, weirdly, is like they're not having any coffee left backstage and the guy being like, oh, we've got tea. And I was like, oh, I don't drink tea. And he went, just have some tea. And I went, all right. <laughs> and that's weirdly specific memory. Like, I can't remember half the bands that I saw, but I can remember having tea for the first time and not really liking it but enjoying a hot drinks so was fucking pissing it down um, so yeah all of that and then throughout uni still doing that i have started up a zine with my mate emily in the third year that we did for about six months eight months it was called announce which was like a local like what's on in salford and manchester thing and we did like printed copies put them in like piccadilly records and all these different places and, we, and that's when I put on yeah it was really fun I, I missed doing that because it was like an A3 newspaper style thing we did it all on InDesign it looked amazing um shout out to Emily because she was I think making that zine was definitely something that's in, in influenced decisions I've made later on in my career and we put on a showcase for that where we had oh who can who can I remember that played it Rob Stevenson, the host of Punk in Drublick, 
I want to say Jay. Did Jay do it? Did Jay Chambers do it? I'm pretty sure he did. Um, indie band I can't remember the name of. Ross Ballinger, who's like a comedian and poet. And Rebecca Roy, I think. And they all came and did like the launch party at the Pier, uh, Old Pint Pop in South. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I and that was well. about, which is a great, great venue. And that was the first time I'd ever put on a gig and it went really well. And I got to like look at sound design and lighting and all that stuff, which really interests me still. And yeah, it was just so much fun. I was like, right, I want to do more of that. I want to be at more of these things. I got into writing poetry more and started going around the, the different open mic venues. Yeah. It was a long-winded answer, sorry. That's cool, that's cool. I enjoy um, I enjoy listening to your answer. Um, what came first for you, the music or the poetry? What What did you start creating first? Started creating poetry first. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, tell a lie, I was in a really shitty band in high school called Black Roses. Oh. And we did like two practices and we did a cover of um, Misery Business by Paramore. And we did a cover of Asking Alexandria song, was it? Something like that. And that was just in my mate's um, shed. <laughs> my, mate, my mate Kieran, who I don't think will mind me saying, was of a different class to me and the rest of the band, in which he had a shed that had full electricity in and like several guitars. And wow. it was like a whole world of exciting stuff that I'd never understood that people could have in their house before. <laughs> and I was on this like, shitty bass guitar that I'd got from a birthday or something that I couldn't play and I, st I still can't like I can't play any instrument I just pretend to be able to and I can play guitar a bit and I can play bass a bit and I can sort of fumble around a keyboard a bit but I can't really play any of those instruments it's all a lie but you can make it sound <laughs> all right in post-production um, but I definitely really 100% couldn't play it when I was in high school <laughs> and yeah we did that which was fun I made like a logo for the band, which was unsurprisingly a black rose. I wasn't thinking very metaphorically at that point. Uh, and that was about it. I didn't write any lyrics or anything like that. I think I started writing poetry whilst doing that A-level, but I couldn't tell you about any of it. I can't remember it. I must have blocked it out. Um, definitely an interest in music first. And then poetry sort of came through that, through people like, Scroobius Pip and K Tempest and John Cooper Clark and Morrissey, I guess, as well. And later Lennon Cohen and Biggie and Tupac and people who like melded what I saw as like poetry into their own writing of lyrics. Um and then I think the poetry came about because I lacked the confidence to write songs or people to write songs with um and i didn't know how to do it I, like I don't, i've always romanticized the idea of being in a band and creating stuff but i never had like a creative partner i don't think to work with so i was like right i'm just gonna put it on the page and go to some open mics and shout it at people and see what happens <laughs> what, what 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 was the first open mic you did um I think the first open mic that I did was, I think it was Speak um, at Jimmy's in, yeah, it definitely was Speak. It was at Jimmy's bar in, well, it's not there anymore, but it used to be in like the Ancolsey area, which has now developed a lot more. Um, and I read a poem about um, lads who use cocaine and they work as like bankers and stuff. And I can still remember the opening lines, actually. Is it caffeine shakes or a cocaine come down? Yes, good line that. Might reuse that at some point. Um, and that was in like 2017, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. And how soon um, did you move? How soon did you move from writing your stuff uh, down on the page and going out and performing to creating your own night? at Switchblade Society? Um, about two years. No, maybe maybe Jimmy's was before that. I'd need to go back and check the dates. My memory's shot. 
it's an ADHD thing. Um, well, dates don't dates aren't that important, but just yeah, like talk yeah, us yeah, through. Yeah. It was it was a couple. Of, it was at least two years, maybe probably more like three, because I, I moved to uni in 2015. First year, I didn't really do any writing, but I might have gone out. The first night I went to was a feminist spoken word night at Aflex, which isn't there anymore. And I just went and saw a load of poets, and I was like, "This is cool. I'm into this." Because it wasn't like I'd been, I wasn't reading a lot of poet, like page poetry or anything at the time. So that was, that must have been in 2015, maybe 2016 is when I go and do my own. And then we start Switchblade in 2019, like late 2019, like September 2019. So yeah, about three years mooching around the scene, going to different nights, going to like Evidently and Word War and Punkin' Drublick and all these verbose um, under its like previous incarnation figuring out sort of my place within that um, and what I wanted to achieve through writing and developing my writing. And at this period, I write Market Street for the first time and I start performing that. That goes down quite well. I start making friends with people um, just through like seeing them often. Not necessarily, we weren't, I wasn't going out and meeting them outside of poetry or anything like that. But when you hang around, you start to see the same faces again and that, gives you more confidence as well i'm sure yeah. you probably agree with that yeah like, definitely once you've performed in front of the same people like two two three times you're like right okay i know that they like it so therefore other people can like there is potential yeah. that other people can 100%. like it um yeah and then i meet michaela in 2018 um where we and then after hanging out for a bit and getting together, she reads me one of her friend's poems. And I tell her that I bet that she would have read that in a really different way than her friend would have read that. And I'd wanted to start a night through for a little while anyway, because I think a few of the ones that were ongoing were dying. Like evidently it stopped going, word war had stopped going. Verbose had changed hands and I wasn't sure about what was going on with that. And then I'm like, right, cool, let's just do it. Let's just do a spoken word night. And I'd I'd really enjoyed previously hosting um the now zine launch and things like that. So that's where the idea of Switchblade came from, where if you don't know, you're not familiar, you come and you read somebody else's poem as well. And you, you have uh, that interpretation of your words heard through someone else's lens and someone else's like life experiences which i think can alter the delivery quite a lot yeah 100 so. percent. it's such a wonderful experience like the first time i did it i was really nervous but um you know it is it's a fantastic experience and it's you know it's something different no one else is doing that um and yeah like we spoke about we spoke to brogan about this when it's like someone brings your work to life your words on the page and they, mm. they give them a life that you couldn't have give it um, and it's just yeah it's amazing so you guys big up yourselves for doing that um so is this then during the time that you you uh, released the the chapbook with analog press that's a little bit after that was either i think it was really really early it was really early 2020 2020 i think pre-pandemic like February, March time. Um, that's when we agreed to do it, actually, and it would have come out around March. Um, so coincidentally, it came out right at the start of the pandemic, which I think watered down and changed how I felt about it a bit. So I genuinely can't remember if I approached Mark at Analog uh, Submission or if he approached me. I think it might have been that you put a call out for like new chat box submissions and I and I sent off what I had. But from what's what's in that chat book um, from Skegness to Salford, and you can't get a handle on it now because there's only 30 copies and they sold out, so you have to see it on eBay one day, <laughs> um, is, is, is very, like, basic stuff. Like, there's no narrative thread throughout the work. There's no, like, I didn't really think about the order of the poems at all. I just, it's more of like a compilation or a collection of work rather than a defined um, idea. And it was basically just everything I'd written since 2016. So over the past like four years, yeah, that timeline's making sense now. Um, 
and it was just really exciting to to, to get it published because it's not something I ever thought would be a thing. <laughs> um, I didn't see that as like an even an option until I started researching like indie presses and DIY presses and micro publishers and things like this. And that felt like a real summit. Um, like, wow, I've, I've put my words out and people can buy them and that's crazy. But then I think that alongside Switchblade, it felt like everything was going in a really nice direction. But then, yeah, suddenly the world stops and I lose my job and I'm made redundant. And it's like, oh, fuck, that, everything that was sort of headed in the direction just stops and you don't know where to go there. And 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 how did you how was that for you? How was how was lockdown? Cuz for you as a creative, how did you uh like navigate that? Because for me I I was in uni. I wasn't I hadn't done a single open mic at the time, so I was quite mm. happy in a sense as you can be in my mum's back garden catching a tan and reading I think of books. That... But for you, sorry, for you is used to being out there, socializing, seeing all these people performing, you know, and then. Yeah, really, really, really yeah. weird. Um, I think I've skipped over, I mentioned earlier about the marketing stuff. So after leaving uni, I got a string of like, sort of sort of boring, menial jobs, um, including work at WH Smith at the airport, which is where I was writing. So 2018, I left uni and I got this job at WH Smith and it's where I wrote what would become the first record that I did with my mate Robin, who I'd met um, at uni on the student radio station. Um, we decided to make music together as a band called Bodies, Bodies UK, because Bodies was taken. And we were putting poems to music. He was just starting off as like a producer. Um, he, he'd been playing every instrument. And this is why I don't say I play instruments because I know people who play instruments like Robin and I don't do that. And he's an unbelievably talented guy. We talk about him in the episode that we've done with Anthony. He's written some incredible songs. Um, but this is when he was just starting off as a producer. So the stuff was, it was like keyboards and drums, really. Um, and I'm like, let me let me put a poet let me put a poem to this um we talked about because we did a hip-hop show together at Salford at the station and we talked we talked a lot about what makes hip-hop hip-hop and I was doing the poetry and it was going quite well and the first thing that we ever put out was a track called a stranger's cigarette um which is very much a poem over a beat rather than like a rap song or anything like that um, and it has a sample from a pop song that I can't remember, but would definitely not get cleared now, um, or it wouldn't get cleared at all if anyone listened to it, because it's just the hook taken from a pop song. It's like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he slowed it down, and I just did the poem over that and put some drums on it. Um, it's a good song, actually. I'm proud of that song still, and there's bits on that first EP that we did that I'm not proud of, that are bad, and I'm glad don't exist anymore. But that's a good song. Um, and that gave me faith that we could keep doing it. So while I'm at WH Smith, sorry, I know I'm jumping all over the place, but it's just no, go my with brain it, go works. with it. Um, I'm writing like scribbles of poetry on the back of leaflets. And the best part about that job was when you went, because it was at the airport, when you weren't in the main store, but you were at like the tech store that they had, which is in Terminal 3 at Manchester Airport. And there's like a tech store where they sell like Bluetooth speakers yeah, yeah, yeah. and headphones at extortionate prices for people yes. who you've forgotten their headphones yeah, yeah. and that's the only people that ever go there no one's ever going oh i've got a flight book to like tenerife oh do you know what i'm just gonna stop and buy some headphones on the way it's for people who forgot and i've got like a three-hour flight in front of them yeah um and that was great i there was bits of that job that i really enjoyed like talking to people especially the regular like frequent flyers who were like going off to like business trips and stuff and you would get to know them a bit which is really odd because it's just so far removed from your experience working as like a clerk you know what i mean like selling headphones um but there was this time and you were in between customers or there was like the flight had gone. There wasn't one for like three hours or whatever. And I would like print off till receipts and just scribble notes on the back of it. And that would eventually form the bulk of the first Bodies album, um, which is called 10 Stories. And I don't think he's on streaming anymore. I'm pretty sure we took that down. Um, and that was a really important project for me because it taught me a lot about like my limitations at the time as a writer. I tried to put together like this whole overarching narrative thing and I was inspired by K Tempest and Everybody Down, which was a record that I had on repeat at the time. I was inspired by like um, 
early Eminem and like the songwriting on like Stan. I was inspired by like the narrative, um, intense narratives that people like um, Lupe Fiasco would go into um, on his writing. Um, but I think I wasn't I wasn't there yet as a writer. I was trying to do I was trying to stretch myself too much, and those were definitely like hip hop songs. Um, and the bits, there's bits of good flow on them. There's bits of good lyrics on them. But the project was it was too much for for both of us. I think it wasn't mixed very well. It wasn't mastered very well. Robin's a lot better at that now than he was because he's been doing it longer. Um, but it was really important formative experience. But I think the difference now is that everyone just puts their formative experiences out there because you can. <laughs> you like there's no there's no filter there's no this person maybe needs a bit more practice before they put out their ep this person yeah. needs another five years of writing to themselves in a bedroom playing in front of their mates like we had the opportunity to put it out there and we did and there's bits and pieces on it that i'm really proud of i'm happy that i did it i think it made me a lot more open as a person because i'd like exposed myself through the art and i was like look there it is um so that happens then we keep writing music together. Um, I meet Michaela, we move in together. Robin's there as well. We write, I think, one more EP together. We try and we demo loads of stuff, but we're living together now and the, the relationship between songwriter and lyricist is changing. I'm trying to like learn how to write songs at the same time, being really annoying, like a yappy puppy following around, like, why did you put that keyboard there? Tell me about that, tell me about this. And I think our relationship was becoming strained. Eventually he moved out and I concentrate on poetry for a bit. Then the world stops and I'm like, right, well, I can't go to a, like you say, I can't go to an open mic. They, they don't exist. So there doesn't feel like an out. I've just put this book out. I'm not ready. I don't have enough material for another one. I don't feel like writing poetry. So I write music again. We write an album that is still out there for Bodies UK. Um, and the album is about lockdown really it was written entirely during lockdown um, and that's the first thing I think that marks a significant step towards like the creative person that I am now I think that's like an, an adult writing rather than someone tr trying to trying to get to grips with what it is to be a writer which is what I was doing previously um, that was me quite confidently becoming a bit more fully formed after that um and we touch on this in anthony's episode the lockdown begins to ease and ebb and flow i meet up with him um along with michaela and our mates adam evans amy king and zoe turner at an edition of punk and drublet that they held outside no covid laws were broken <laughs> And Anthony releases a song called Difference. I really like that song and I ask him to to send me the beat and I do a verse on that. And eventually we do a little EP together, me, Robin and Anthony, which is called Endless Summer. And it was about that idea of missing summer, missing friends and being outside and all this stuff. And that came out not in the summer. <laughs> it came out in like the autumn of 2020. Um, but then Anthony's stuff begins to take off and Robin, fair play, is, you know, with him on that journey. Um, so I go back into poetry. We put Switchblade on again, do that. And I'm also then at this time, um, I've just lost my job, which I, which is what how I started this, and I'll talk about that in a second. Um, I'm a bit lost and I'm a bit endless. I don't really know where I'm going. I apply to do teaching stuff, and I think I lose a lot of time. So I start writing on the train. I start writing in my breaks, and it becomes more short form and more pagey because of lack of stage time, because of the pandemic that we're all still living through at this time this is like late 2020 2021 going into like that christmas with lockdown and this is where the start of what became we are now approaching emerges from from that forced restriction of not being able to go out that much only for work really and then getting the job in levenshume so i had to get the train every day because i still don't drive from bolton um 
and that's when yeah the the, the project gets formed so just really quickly before i move on because i'll forget it in between all of that after wh smith um i go to o2 do o2 for a bit after o2 i get a job with a company called social chain which is bizarre there's going to be a documentary on how weird that company is one day really odd but like basically if you just imagine like the most stereotypical like gen z millennial office there's dogs there's avocados they celebrated national <laughs> avocado day for fuck's sake by buying in like a hundred avocados <laughs> yeah man it was weird and it, oh, the guy it, it's bizarre a string of really bizarre business decisions all of this while like the majority of the staff are on like 18k like nothing and these are like qualified degree level professionals managing huge accounts for like these massive corporate businesses that we were doing the marketing and advertising for they didn't pay any of the staff peanuts, but they celebrated National Avocado Day by buying 100 avocados. And then there was like a chef that worked there that like they filmed the stuff and put it on Facebook. And I learned a lot there, but not necessarily all good stuff. Like I learned a lot about people, about selfishness and capitalism, but also a lot about like copy and how copy is distinctive from creative writing and fiction. And I, I think I've, I still practice that to this day in like writing bios for people and the stuff with the CIC. Um, so definitely really some really useful bits of to come out of it. But like, it was just a really weird time because I, I, it was the easiest time in my life. I was writing just these 200 word articles about like one quote that someone had given, which didn't mean anything, completely meaningless. You know, Pedro Pascal says that the, la the next series of The Last of Us is going to be darker and then your headline would be like pedro pascal spills all about the upcoming series of the last of you know just completely just clickbait that's what i was yeah. doing i was writing clickbait yeah. um which was really easy and the office culture was really fun and nice but it was it, it was draining me because it wasn't creative or fun in any way you were just trying to eke out profit out of your words and i knew that i didn't want to do that i was already becoming quite unhappy with it there but then me, my mate Matty and Andy. No, Matty wasn't actually. My mate Andy was made redundant along with like 30 other people on the eve of the pandemic. So I was like, fuck. <laughs> no money, no idea about what's going to happen in the future. Just be made redundant from this, like, as far as I can tell, huge company. And that's when I moved into teaching. So that's, that's a, a long, again, a very long answer, but that's how my brain no, that's cool. decides to tell that's, you these things. That's absolutely cool. <laughs> Um, a bit of a fun one now. Um, well, depends how you see it, but I think it's a fun one. <laughs> so you you just touched on being an English teacher. You're soon going to be teaching reading. Um, and I thought it'd be quite fun if you gave us your top five best books of all time. Oh, wow. Okay, Jesus. Um, right, I'm going to have to think about this. Ooh, that's on the spot that that's on, on the spot in it that is on the Sorry. spot it is on the spot <laughs> i like it no that's all right man that's cool i'm gonna i'm gonna refer to my good reads because my 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 uh and i like this with films as well absolute nerd for films and for books and for music but i cannot remember titles of stuff unless i have like a list to refer back to I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's an ADHD thing as well. It's nice though what, to have but... a place for them all to be. So, you know, like you mm. do your letterbox and Goodreads and things like this because it's, it's a lot. <laughs> and like for someone like you who reads a lot, like this is why I asked you this question because I think you read a lot. Not that you read a lot, but that I see that you read a substantial amount. And I know that you're like, you just said you watch a lot of films as well. So it's... Definitely didn't always though. That's I think a pandemic thing most recently. Like as a kid, yeah, loads of loads of books as a kid up until like thirteen, fourteen, maybe fifteen. Then during uni, it definitely like dropped off, and I think maybe that coincided with when my interest in film picked up because like doing the A level and stuff. Um, do you want five you, or ten? I said five, but if you want to do three, you can do All it. Right, let's, let's go. Let's go five. Cool, um, cool, cool. The Haunting of Hill House, Shirley Jackson nice um never let me go because you should guru any poetry in there mm, i know that's what i'm trying to i'm trying to figure out see i i probably wouldn't put a poetry book in my top in my top five books well, um yeah that's mm. uh I, yeah 
I have one in mind, but they're not all. You're going to have to give me yours afterwards. That's really interesting. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I've done Haunted Hill House. Oh, Confederacy of Confederacy of Dunces by John Kennedy Tool. Have you no, read that? I've heard, I've, I, oh, I have the other two, but not that one. Yeah, that it's just absolutely perfect. It's like a satire um, of this like capitalist culture. I think it's just it's phenomenal. Um, High Fidelity by Nick Hornby. And oh, I've got it. Love on the Doll by Walter Greenwood. Oh, I've heard about this. Not read yeah, it though. I, I think I've still got it. It's on my bookshelf. It's set in Salford at like the thirties, and it's just oh, it encapsulates that like wartime post-industrial um, sort of depressive working-class um, atmosphere really 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 well um a confederacy of dunces by john kennedy tool uh never let me go by kazu ishiguru um the haunting of hill house by shirley jackson and high fidelity by nick hornby yes yeah, so they're great answers i just thought um it'd be fun to do that you give our listeners some uh reading recommendations yeah. and a good um, question. yeah it links to your job and it links to my recommendation uh of a great great book which is we are now approaching by <laughs> will, will stevenson so tell us a little bit about that um you know how how do you think um i've got various questions one of them is how do you think mm. your writing processes Change developed, evolved from uh, from Skegness and Salford to we are now approaching. Many years have gone past. You've been mm. through a lot of things. You've got more experience. And then, if you could also tell us a bit, little bit about the publication, uh, how it came to be, you know, because I think a lot of our listeners might be interested in that whole side of things as well. Yes, definitely. Um, okay, so in terms of process, I uh, I wrote all the drafts really chaotically um and sporadically in notes apps and keep documents and on the backs of planners and in lessons when i was meant to be observing and learning stuff about teaching <laughs> um and they all found their way or many of them sort of found their way in and out of like live sets drifting about um but they weren't they didn't feel right they didn't stick because they weren't written for the stage um so i would try them out they would get a fine reaction and then i would put them down again and leave them in my notes app um and it sort of remained that way where i just kept trying to write stuff for the stage and i was i got i got good at that um like i think i am a performer uh, like most of all and that's what I tried to meet poetry in the first place but and it, they sort of go hand in hand so I'm going to talk about how the book came about and then I'll talk again about how the process changed after that point so I kept doing open mics as many as I could but I just wanted to I wasn't sure what the next stage would be in terms of writing I'd done the chat book I'd done I, I still had switchblade and I just knew that I wanted to try and take it more seriously but I wasn't sure about how to do that Um. so our mutual publisher and friend Rebecca had started up Benke Publishing and I wasn't I knew that like Verve was a thing and I knew that like various other publishers in around like the northwest were a thing but I didn't know anyone who run one or how to get involved in that world really um so I was just doing my own thing going to mics etc etc and I went to one run by Brian Dunn the Northern Poets Society which you yes. were at as well was that the first time we met in the Bolton Arndale and we did it oh uh, with the, the Bolton Arndale yeah. <laughs> uh, also known as the marketplace yeah the yeah, marketplace, yeah 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 the Breaking Barriers Cafe up there yeah yeah that's it that's another thing that I've picked up from Michaela's poem in that about the presser and how I call it a presser now and I fucking hate that because it sounds stupid but it's about I'll talk to you about that later but about these colloquialisms that I've sort of picked up through living here for so long and, and I love that poem actually thank you it's very kind it's um yeah, it's, a, it's one of my favourites in the collection. Um, but yeah, <laughs> the Allendale. Which is, to be fair, a term for markets, but 
I just think of Manchester Arndale. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, So yeah. there, um, I do a set. And like I say, by this point, I'm, I'm, I've got... I know what I'm doing when it comes to live performances and I can sort of get up and do a crowd and I don't have to worry about it. Um, and afterwards, Rebecca had put out like three, two, three books maybe. I think Lovely Chubbly was out at this time, I think. Um, so Tom's book, Tom Stocks. That was the third book, I believe. So that, that was would the third have been, book. Um, yeah. yeah, it would have been Rebecca's Crash and Learn and then it would have been James Walton's Belting and then Tom's. That's right, that lines up. Um, and... She asked me if I was interested in doing a collection because she liked what I was doing on stage, um, which was really overwhelming. I was like, oh, fucking hell, really? Like, do you know what I mean? Because I, I didn't, it wasn't like I was targeting people and trying to do this as the next step. I didn't even know it was really an option. Yeah. Um, but it turns out it was. And because I was, like I say, confident in my performance and delivered these poems well enough, apparently, she asked me to, to sit down and do a collection. And I thought, right cool amazing yes of course that, that's an opportunity that's presenting itself to you on your plate and if you don't take them then you never know what happens sort of thing so i said yes i would love to do that which I, which i have loved doing that the process of it i've really enjoyed it um and i think it spurred me on to taking things more seriously as page poetry rather than performance because i knew that like that's what these poems were then going to be for that's what that's that was their end goal their destination was going to be printed out and and most people would consume them away from my voice and away from my on stage persona so they became a different thing because of knowing where they were going everything that i'd done up to that point including the stuff in from skegness to salford was written for me to tell people so they include a lot more of like my colloquialisms the way that i would deliver them the line breaks are such that I know when the pauses are and I know how to deliver them. If there's an accent involved, if there's a physicality involved, you you lose all that when it's on page. You can add it in again afterwards, but it has to be an afterthought rather than part of the process. Um, there's a poem in We Are Now Approaching that can be read in any direction. So you can read it left to right, right to left, up to downwards or across or diagonally and, and they all work that doesn't that's not a stage thing it can't be done on stage like that it can only exist in that medium yeah and that's like the perfect that's the the, the pinnacle of what i wanted to do with the book it got called by someone experimental i thought it's not really experimental i guess there are elements in there that that are experimental in in that there's like found poems in there and there's translations in there and stuff but that struck me as as interesting because I, I've never considered myself to really be an experimental writer, but I suppose there are elements of that that creep in. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people use use experimental as like a um, a feedback um, expression, I suppose. Um, when when it's like form they haven't encountered before, mm. because it's new to them and it's like you know. Yeah, what um, what the word experimental means is is a really interesting thing. So again, I think I draw on this from like a musical standpoint, where to me, experimental is without pre yeah, like you said, without pre existing um, boundaries in which it sits. So like a lot of William Basinski's music, um, he's got a, an, an album called um, the Disintegration Loops, in which he takes pre-existing music and literally disintegrates the tape um over the course of the album and it's like the loop then becomes and it's out of his control what happens to it apart from the fact that he's disintegrating and breaking up the loop that's experimental because you don't know the what's going to happen at the end he, he sits yeah. down to start the process and he doesn't know what's going to happen at the end something like Mersbo is experimental because it exists without form or structure it's just noise um in a very literal sense, but something like Dark Throne or or someone like this isn't experimental. It's just outside of you know most people's sort of construction of what music is, but it does still have guitars and a drum kit and a vocalist. It's just not someone singing. Um, and I think the same thing is true of poetry in that you know everything on that in that manuscript, like translation, is a very valid form of poetry that's been used by to, to much greater effect may i add by actual translators than me over many many years like 
poem that can be read in various um, directions. That's not new. It maybe is something that's not used very often, but it, it's not new. Um, so I, I don't consider it to be like an experimental collection. I think it's quite a personal collection of work. And so, yeah, when I sat down to write it, I took what I had and I then decided it needed a theme. And the theme was going to be about transience because because of that experience of growing up where I grew up in in that small town, that, that market town, because of then going through the experience of uni, but never, never feeling settled, never feeling like I'd fully immerse myself in one group of people like I had a lot of different types of mates like I had mates that were my, like my druggy mates I had mates that were like into house music I had mates that were into music production and poetry and I didn't feel like I sort of settled within any one of those groups so still remaining transient remaining doing your own thing and not settling into roots I moved about a lot like every year I'd have a different house with a different group of people at uni and then post it still people moving in and out um throughout that time so um yeah that's that's where the collection came from but i sat down and I then the process was different because then it was me at a laptop in this room um refining that and i bounced it around a lot of people to, to get their honest feedback and i changed the script a lot in that time and i refined it i made it smaller i made it more concise um, the decision to split it into two halves, um, we are now approaching and leaving the station, came after I find myself feeling more settled in my life, in professional life, in personal life, and this idea of the journey, and maybe leaving behind a bit of that transience after the book as like a milestone, and feeling like my roots were actually beginning to unfold and to settle down, and leaving the station as that idea. Um, just stopping taking so many trains <laughs> you know, that's a really beautiful way of looking at it that's a really beautiful so. way of looking at it i hope that's that's how people feel if they if they read it through and you bring your own experience to every piece of work but i think that you get the idea of someone who has perhaps settled down a little bit and decided and felt a little bit more confident in themselves and in in their decisions and lifestyle um permanence isn't a bad thing i think as creatives we can definitely be scared of permanence like a lot because it's it maybe people associate it with like um settling um which I, I don't think it is i think you can settle with the right group of people who push you and and allow you to experiment and allow you to find new forms of expression whilst also feeling like okay i know these people have my back and i know they've got my best interests at heart and the manuscript was read over by two people who have three people who have helped me in that a lot over the past few years. So it was read by my brother. And I think part of the collection is about like finding a deeper connection with my brother as he like matures and hits adulthood properly, settling down himself in his own way. Um, so he read it through. He's the smartest person I know. Um, my mate Zoe, who ran Verbose, Zoe Turner, she read it through, gave some really, really helpful bits of really precise and intricate critique about this line is too long, this word would sit better on its own. Um, and Michaela read it through, and hers was, I mean, just immensely beneficial because despite being a teacher at reading, often I'm not the best speller, <laughs> which is kind of ironic, I suppose. Um, but then we get into talking about, you know, word level and and the differences in in understanding syntax and actually um yeah being a great speller you could be a brilliant writer without being a good speller don't worry guys oh yeah absolutely 100 <laughs> percent. so how many um redrafts do you think you went through with uh, we are now approaching in your editing process as people Endless. read it and you <laughs> really yeah yeah, I, it, yeah. I mean, it, both on an individual poem level, like on, up until up until the deadline as well. Like I, I find it really hard to settle with a piece of work. I think because the background is in performance, and I would change things like live on the spot if it wasn't hitting right with the crowd. And I can add another line here. There's a metaphor that or a simile that I could add that will suit this room and this venue and this date and this time. And knowing that you can't do that when it's out there and you hit X date and it has to be submitted. It was tinkering 
pretty much up to the deadline. It was after Zoe had read it um, that I settled it and nothing moved about again in terms of its place. I think she was really helpful in like going, this poem would work better at the top of this half for this, this comes after this, break these two up because they're very similar in theme and they should be further apart. Um, so I think after that, which was like a month or two before publication, I was like, right, that's the order done. But then lines and individual words right up to the up to the wire, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, similar for me, as you know. I'm a big redrafter. Sounds mm. like you are as well, which will lead us nicely into the big question that we ask here on the yes. podcast. Um, you know what's coming, uh, and I'm gonna ask you. So, will. If you could go back and you had the opportunity to change a piece of work or an area in your life, career, what would that be? We've, uh, we're recording this with the benefit of having talked to like three, four different people about it now, um, which is really nice. And hearing everybody else's experience has informed my answer, I think, to a certain degree. Cool, I'm interested I, to see what it is now. Yeah, I, I think that, it's because initially I would have said start earlier and I think that pretty much everyone would probably say something along those lines but I think that it would now be to not label or limit yourself or or be concerned about that um like there's a bit and right at the end of we are now approaching in the acknowledgements thing where I'm like I didn't tell anyone that it was poetry for ages and I wasn't comfortable with the term poet which is really funny because now there's there's absolutely no doubt about that whatsoever. And like the stuff that's written down isn't performance, it isn't comedy, it isn't anything else. It is just poetry. But at the same time, I don't want to sit still and be, be have that as a label going forward. But if people want to apply it, then that's fine. Like, I, I think that looking for labels for stuff minimalizes the impact of it. And if you... If you want to pick one great but i think just write stuff <laughs> and just see where it takes you um and it, you know it's not just writing either it's, it's the same for every medium like i've got real admiration for like actors and 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 directors that can move between writing and directing and acting and script editing and all this different stuff so collaboration you know and 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 allowing yourself to be more open with your work and be more honest about it um without trying to write to a label like i thought oh i'm not a poet i'm a performer oh i'm not a poet i'm a this i'm a that but just putting the work out there talking to people and uh sharing it and then enjoying that feedback is 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 where i i wish i'd have done that earlier i think for a long time i kept it guarded as this is what i do i go up and i'm on a stage and then that's the end of it and it's like well, it's not the end of it like it, it, it can go on all the time <laughs> it can yeah. be developed if you just share it with people and you say i've read this i've written this what do you think and you can really yeah benefit from that if you just stop trying to write to a brief to your kind of writing i wrote about stuff for a long time because i thought it was what i was meant to write about and i've stopped doing that now and i'm enjoying being creative like more than ever because I just write stuff and it will find the place where it needs to go and it might be a book and it might be a stage show and it might be a song but write it first and don't retrofit it to something just let it be what it needs to be does that make sense yeah that makes perfect sense perfect sense and it's a lovely answer um don't limit yourself if you could go back you wouldn't limit yourself so mm. yeah um I, th I feel like as creators we've got we tend to um we struggle to like accept that that can mean more than one thing you know mm. like mm -hmm. for ages i didn't want to do anything on print a poet because i thought well and that's the artist i'm the poet yeah i come up with the words but i had this itching to get on the ipad and just draw and do bits and yeah. but for ages i thought well it's not really my thing but it's like why not i can do that and i can write and that can write and then she can do art and we can all do everything that we want to yeah yeah yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. you know That's like exactly us it. we've got exactly. so many things going on and why can't we you know why can't we 
Mm. We're going to take over the world. Um, <laughs> brilliant. Well, Will, thank you so much for sitting down, chatting to me, letting the people get to know you. Um, I've really enjoyed getting inside your head a little bit. I find you a very philosoph philosophical guy. Um, and yeah, I've really enjoyed that chat. Thank you very much. Just like much. yammering on, that's all. If anyone can actually put <laughs> together the, the timeline that I've spoken about there, um, let us know on the socials and I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll send you a book if you can get all the events in the right order because I don't think I can. I'll send you a free book. Got a rough um, idea. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Thanks, Ramina. Yeah, no problem. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of the Redraft Podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to this chat, you can help support us over on Patreon. We have three tiers of Patreon support available from three to eight pounds per month. Tier one is the Big Biro tier in that you receive a shout out in the episode after you join, access to all of our planning documents and you can join an exclusive Instagram group chat with other writers to share notes, tips, feedback and more. In tier two, the Fountain Pen tier, you get all of that plus pre-sale to any upcoming live events that we've got going on and you get to interact with our guests directly by emailing in questions in advance and in tier three you get the typewriter tier includes all the previous benefits plus a free art print from printer poet commission your own poem from us once a year and you also get feedback on a single piece of writing and that's once a month and of course you can also support us for free by following subscribing and dropping us a five-star review on the podcasting platform of your choice and we are really grateful for any level of support that you can offer we know it's a tough old world out there for everyone at the minute so thank you very much and if you can't support us in that way you can always just share us with your friends tell the world about us put us on your stories and give us five stars we'll be back every monday with a brand new episode of the redraft podcast for your listening pleasure so we'll be back here next week with a next guest our next guest which is very exciting um so yeah please make sure you check that out and we'll see you then Bye.